Okay, so we're in week two of healing the orphan spirit. And so let me pray, because I'm going to need it and you're going to need it. Father, I do, I do thank you so much for every person in this room, every story in this room. I thank you for every broken marriage. I thank you for every, wherever we are, I just thank you for that person. And I pray this morning you speak just so tenderly to us and clearly in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, when you're a son and daughter and you're struggling, you don't see yourself as pathetic. You just see yourself as in a war with not with flesh and blood. Has it ever occurred to us that our spouse, our friends, our buddies, our leaders, what they're going through, that they're actually in a war? And if the Father could just open up your eyes, you'd be slow to judge that person and quick to pull out your sword on the enemy influencing that person? Isn't that good? Where's Blake Berg? Is Blake in here? He's always in and out. Blake did that. I thought it was fantastic. I want, I want that in my office. And so I just want to talk about how does this thing get healed? So let's just redefine what is the orphan spirit. The best way I know how to describe it in week two is like this. David was a mighty man of God. He was king of Israel. But before he became king, he had quite a story. He had a best friend. His name was Jonathan. Jonathan's dad was named Saul. Saul was a very awesome man at first because God put his hands on Saul and said, you are the king of Israel. Although God never wanted a king of Israel, the people pushed him. And sometimes you push God hard enough, he'll give you what you don't need, but he's so generous and he'll bless you even though it's not wise for you. So you got to pray it always, 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 not my will, but your will, Father. So they kept pushing him. He said, okay, this is not going to go well, but here you go. A lot of people get handed by the Father what they want so bad, and they refuse to let a community speak into them, and what they think is their tremendous blessing is actually for their destruction. That's why you don't need to, if, if God is hesitant on something, don't keep asking 600 times. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Never lean, never lean on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge and he'll direct your paths. And they said, okay, here's Saul. Saul starts off fine. And then as the story goes, if God predicts something, he has a remarkable track record at this. It goes south in a hurry. And when it goes south, Jonathan and David become best friends. And Jonathan's dad tries to kill David all these years. And it goes on for a long time. That's where all the psalms of lament come from. But in our toughest season, God does something in us that's just really significant. We all know that. Well, before Saul dies and before Jonathan dies, because Saul's sin even actually killed his own son. That's a whole other series. Jonathan and David made a promise to each other. And this is what David said to Jonathan. Hey, if you ever die, I'll take care of your whole family. Because the oil of Jehovah God was on David. Years have passed. And then all of a sudden, we now realize that Jonathan's dead. And David thought that Jonathan's kids were taken care of. And he hears through the grapevine that there's one child, this one kid named Mephibosheth, that was Jonathan's son, that was not being taken care of. Matter of fact, he lived in a place called Lodibar, the land of barrenness. So let's just metaphorically say that this is the king's table here. It doesn't look like a king's table. There's no food on it. But let's just use your imagination. This is the king's table. And so this is where King David said, over here is Lodibar. Over here is the land of barrenness. There's nothing. David's at the king's table. Saul is dead. He's thriving in leadership. Israel has 40 years of peace and prosperity. It's amazing. And now a promise was made to this son, even though the son never knew the promise existed. And David says, hang on a second. Go get him. So they go get Mephibosheth. They take him out of the land of barrenness and they pull him to the king's table. And he's in absolute shock because coming to the king's table means this. 
you're taken care of to the day you die or that king is overthrown. That's a pretty good deal. So in the upper room, Jesus said, I'm going to cut a new covenant. And they're looking at him like, what are you talking about? And this covenant is better than the old covenant. And this covenant is this, part one last week. I came to reconnect you to Papa, and you are now back at the king's table. I'm going to take you back into Eden, where you will be taken care of, where angels will minister to you, protect you. I'm taking you back to a place of intimacy with the Father, where the Father is a provider and he's a protector. But here's what happens. When Mephibosheth comes to the table, Mephibosheth was more comfortable in Lodibar than he was at the king's table. Very few people do you ever meet are comfortable receiving blessing. C.S. Lewis says the highest form of pride is the inability to receive. (laughs) Y'all aren't listening. The highest form of pride is the inability to sit at a king's table. Because we say things like this. I don't deserve that blessing. I don't deserve that intimacy. I don't deserve that protection. I know the sins I've committed. By the way, Mephibosheth was crippled. And an orphan just looks at his crippleness. Well, this happened to me 40 years ago. This is the mistake I made. This is just who I am. This is what I'm defined by. And orphanhood is being more comfortable in Lodibar than it is at the king's table. And here's the funny thing about it, and the enemy spins it. It seems so deeply spiritual to continue to talk about your depravity. When the father believes it's a high level of faith to talk about the atonement that was given that allows you to sit at the table, not what you're not. So sons and daughters talk about who they are in Christ. Orphans talk about who they are not because what they have done. And this is not a message to the world. This is a message to myself, to the elders at Bridgeway, to the staff at Bridgeway, and everyone in here. The temptation the rest of your life will be just to drift back. To drift back. Here's what most of us do. Most of us live our lives just like this. And we stay for a weekend and then we go. And we stay for a weekend and then we go. I want to live my life where I get to the king's table and anyone try to pull me off here, I'm going to punch you in the face because you can't do that. It's not going to happen. So what does the accuser, Satan in Hebrew, what's the accuser come to do? He knows he can't talk you out of heaven and hell. You see, the accuser's never going to talk much about heaven and hell. The accuser's going to talk about Lodibar and the king's table constantly. You don't deserve to sit at that table. How can you even call yourself a pastor? You don't deserve anything. You're worthless. You think you're smart. You're actually stupid. I, you know, put yourself in this scenario. I, I, it just never stops. It never stops. Has it ever occurred to you that every thought you have is not from yourself or the Father? If he's the accuser, who's he accusing? The brothers and the sisters. So you got two options here. You can view your life based upon Lodibar and the king's table, based on your own thoughts, what others say about you, what the enemy says about you, or there is one other option. And I would be a very good teacher. If I passed out a test, I'd give you four options. And the first three are this. I would say this. Here's the question. Which thoughts should you believe? Your negative thoughts coming from yourself? Thoughts from other orphans around you? Thoughts from the accuser? Or thoughts from the father? And then I would say, circle D. (laughs) The goal of your life, the rest of your life, will only be one thing. I'm telling you. It will be the battle between Lodibar and the king's table. And then when you get at the king's table and you learn how to reside there, 
Other believers that are actually your siblings that are more comfortable in Lodi Bar will, will, will throw darts at you from, from the back and they will be influenced by the enemy. You know, I get, I get the biggest, I do not understand how so many spirit-filled believers are so demon-centric. As a pastor, I hear, it's amazing how many people talk about what the enemy is doing in their lives. When you're sitting at the king's table stuffing your face full of his food and enjoying intimacy with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it's hard to hear him. Perhaps we're hearing him so much because we're not at the table where Elohim sits. And Elohim is the plural form of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. If I'm hearing the voice of the enemy constantly, it may not be because I'm called to warfare intercession. It may be because I'm in Lodibor and I'm not supposed to be there. You'll grow more in one day, one day sitting at the table than 10 years trying to connect with God from Lodibar. It is amazing. A lot of us live as though we're under the old covenant. So we sit at the table. We're doing good. We're receiving some revelation. It feels good. And then the accuser uses another brother, which, by the way, he will always use those closest to you to get to you. Okay? He did it with Joseph's brothers. He did it with David. It's just the way it works. This isn't trigonometry. Let's quit acting like this thing's so complicated. He uses those closest to you. And somebody close to you is say, you're you're just not what you're supposed to be. And you listen. You see, listening to a thought and receiving a thought are two different things. A son listens to a thought and does this. You ever eaten at a picnic and that annoying one fly just does that? You know what a true son does? You say, hang on a second. Don't let anybody eat my food. You go get that flask water. And you pull a Mr. Miyagi and you find the fly and you squash his guts out. But here's what a lot of us do. One fly turns into two flies, turns into three flies. Has it ever occurred to you that the enemy in the thought realm knows when you're going down a bad path, when you start entertaining one lie, it starts multiplying. The enemy loves multiplication and so does the father. You can multiply bad fruit or good fruit. I would just rather sit here and knock that thought away and continue to listen to what Holy Spirit's saying to me, what Father's saying to me, and what Jesus is saying to me. But the number one thing an orphan does, we'll back off the table and we'll begin to make excuses of why we don't belong there. And the Father is saying, I gave my son's blood for you. I slaughtered my, my baby boy for you to sit at the table until you come home. And when you come home, you'll have abundance waiting on you you can have abundance now why are you backing away from the table and the further we get from the table the harder it is to hear him and then all these flies are all over around us lord of the flies he's called in the old testament top three healing i've ever seen in my life was in bolivar missouri when i prayed for brad fogarty's knee as i prayed for him in the natural at least a hundred flies started flying around his head the enemy's more real than you think he is But the father's table trumps that maggot. He's just a maggot. He's under my feet. So if he's under my feet, why am I reaching down, pulling him up eyeball to eyeball level with me and entertaining his thoughts? Here's what we do. We make excuses. I'm not talking to your spouse, by the way. I'm not talking to your mom or dad. I'm, I'm talking to myself right now. We make excuses of why we don't belong there. And I have a hard word this morning because Jesus is so tender, but I have never met anyone more challenging in my life. Let's go to John 5, chapter 1. In the spirit, I pray that he would put a helmet on you, shoulder pads, and give you a cup of water after this passage because it, it, defies, it defies what most people think he's like. 
I'd rather get my theology from the Bible than take my own theology to the Bible and read the Bible through my wicked interpretation. You know, most people have a view of Jesus. He's like Mr. Rogers. You go into a Christian bookstore, he looks like he's got some sort of sickness. He weighs 100 pounds and he just needs to get alive. Have you ever seen these pictures in the book? It's like, you know, he's, he's, he's not like that. And he is, a, he is very secure. They chased him. When he was born, Herod chased him. <laughs> he came onto the earth they wanted to kill him. He was never phased. The enemy tried to kill his disciples that one time with the storming water. They tried to kill him all the time. He'd just slip away. I've never met anyone in my life that stayed at the king's table with his papa like he did. He's not just my example to get to heaven. He's my example on how to bolt myself down to this table. He never left it. And so Jesus sees this man been sick 38 years. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Can you go back there? You want to know how you are growing with God? When you intentionally choose into feasting and celebration. And it's not something that just happens on Christmas Eve. In the spirit realm, if I'm connected to the king's table, it ought to manifest in the natural realm to where I am a person of celebration. (laughs) What we call frugal, a lot of times God calls unbelief. Sometimes you don't need to get that nasty steak that costs 99 cents and you marinate it for a week so you can chew it. You know, you can tell a lot about a person on how they order when they go to a restaurant. I'm not kidding. You know how orphans order? There's 30 things I can't get. The father told me he's going to grow me out of my own orphanhood. About a year and a half ago, when I go to restaurants, he wants me to order very nice things. When I started doing that, people started blessing me. It's crazy how this works. Y'all need to listen right now. The orphan spirit's getting triggered in here right now, big time. On podcast, somebody just turned this thing off right now. Who's that guy think he is? Well, I just... I just need that 99 cent menu at Wendy's that they say it's chicken, but it sure doesn't taste like chicken. I just don't deserve that. I just, you know, we got to change the way we think. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I'm not talking about being irresponsible. I'm just talking about being biblical. He didn't go to the festival every day. At some point, you ought to go to a festival. You ought to plan a love feast party at your house, invite six of the people closest to you, And cook a really nice meal. Blessing myself. (laughs) Verse 2. Now there in Jerusalem near the sheep gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here's what I love about this. Do you know the original intent of this building? There are colonnades on these bricks out here. Jack and Amon and the team that started Mount Zion Fellowship, they wanted those colonnades out there. You want to know why? Because where the colonnades were is where the extraordinary miracles happened. And we've seen some nice healings in here. The biggest healing of them all is when someone gets healed of this orphan spirit. And today, the miracle you're about to see, I want to see the same thing with the body of people. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. Just stop. Now, some of you never heard this passage. This is one of the most shocking passages I have seen with Jesus Christ. The, the, what, so people ask me the question I asked Alex. How did you go from being in the fetal position at age 28 to seeing blind eyes open at 29? It wasn't because someone laid hands on me. It's because, honestly, he just showed me how to pick up my mat and walk. 
And Jesus asked me a question at 28 that I thought, there is no way this is coming from God. There's no way he just asked me what he asked me. Now watch this. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Don't get uncomfortable. You know, at some point, you've got to be man enough or woman enough to ask yourself, not your spouse, not your community. Why, if I'm covered in the blood of Christ and God is my father and angels surround me and the Holy Spirit's in me, why am I more comfortable in Lodi Bar full of depression, panic attacks, agoraphobia, insecurities, don't look at me wrong, the pastor didn't speak to me today, he must hate me, that person hates me. I'm stupid. I can't read. Well, you don't understand my journey. You don't understand my pain. You don't know what it's like to lose your granddaddy when you're five. I could go on forever. Why do we make so many excuses on why we aren't where we're supposed to be? And here's what we really do. We love to blame our spouse. Oh, man, it's the favorite thing in the world. Adam did it. Adam said, this is really kind of funny. you got to laugh a little bit at this. It's the woman that you gave me, God. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's pretty funny. <laughs> the first person on the earth is like, well, it can't be my fault. There's no way it's my fault. Apple, I don't even know what an apple is. It's that other Lodi Bar woman, God, you gave me. The best day of your life. Is the day when you quit making excuses. By, by the way, I'm only speaking to those who the blood of Christ is. You've given your life to Jesus Christ. The best day for a born again believer's life is when you say, I don't need God to call me to the table. He called me to the table at Calvary, and I'm going to quit blaming a bunch of people for what I'm not. At 28, I'm in the fetal position. At 29, I'm seeing blind eyes open. Nothing sovereign happened. Chad, I have groomed you through torture for all these years. I have been the one behind your Zoloft and your Xanax. I am now rewriting the Bible. I once hated you, but now I love you. No. I pulled a Martin Luther. Luther read a verse out of Galatians and said, wait a minute, what do you mean grace is on me that I'm loved and cherished? Do you know how the Protestant Reformation started? One man read one verse and said, hang on here, we got a problem. In the Catholic Church, they had to pay a penance to pray for your dead relatives and all these priests were getting this money. And Martin Luther said, this is wrong. God's actually nice. He loves us. One man took one truth, went to a king's table, and then millions have followed. Do you know that your breakthrough from Lodi Bar to the king's table could be the breakthrough for your great, great, great grandchild that you will never meet? (laughs) Do you want to get well? I cannot wait to meet this guy one day. What a question. Do you want to get well? What other things could you say? You know, I feel terrible. I really feel awful. I wish the Father wouldn't even have made the earth. This is just too horrific. There's so much brokenness around here. Even in the news in the past week, I'm so glad I'm off social media because 99% of it is just negativity. You know, if you see the world as evil and you see the world as so bad, it will put you in a passive position where you won't let your light shine in the darkness. And just all these excuses of why I am the way I am. And Jesus' response to this man is the same response to me in my own orphanhood. 
And by the way, I think this thing is scalable. I think some people live deep in Lodi Bar. Some people are here. Some people are here. Some people stay at the table. This is not an all or nothing. There's different levels of this thing. But the response that Jesus gives is the response that we need to hang on to the rest of our lives. Or the response this man says. Do you want to get well? Next verse. Sir, I have no one to help me. To get into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. We are all groomed to blame Eve. We are all groomed to make an excuse. We are all groomed to harbor bitterness in our hearts towards the perpetrator that hurt us, towards the lies that were spoken, towards the slander, towards our own mistake. And at some point, you do what this guy does. I love the response in verse 8. Get up. The most kind person I've ever, ever met in my life did not pray in tongues over him did not get a community of intercessors over him, did not go into why he was the way he was, did not make 10 excuses, didn't apologize. He said, get up. Some of you in here, you just need to get up. And right now, there's a grace on this house at Bridgeway for you to get up. When the grace is there, you better act on it. Because if Jesus is on the water, you get out of the boat and walk on it. Jesus is not always on that water. When there's grace on something, you better jump. The only reason Peter could walk on water towards Jesus is because Jesus was on that water. This is a prophetic corporate word I am giving to Bridgeway. There is grace on this conversation right now. And I'm telling you, some of you need, I say this nicely, you need to get up. Your marriage can be healed in six hours. If you'll quit blaming your spouse, get up, pick up your own mat, serve, die well, give yourself away, become a humble person, become someone just really low. Get up. Well, you just don't understand. That lie just penetrated me so long ago, and I just, ever since, I just can't get rid of it. Yes, you can. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Get up. Get up. Well, I'm not a good this. I'm not a good that. I made mistakes raising my kids. They're never going to love me. I'm this, I'm that. Listen, the God of the universe has a picture of you in his wallet. What do you care what someone thinks about you? I'm doing the best I can to raise my kids. I, really, I pray for them. I love them. We're going on vacation this week. Going to the beach, going to hang out. I'm not a perfect person, but you know, I'm giving it my all. At some point, my three kids are going to have to realize I'm just their sibling stewarding them. They have but one father. You know, some of you need to forgive your parents. Because, I mean, they did the best they could. You got granddads and dads coming out of the war and you've been judging them your whole lives. You don't know what it was like to be them. Some of you were hurt by people that were in the Great Depression. You know how awful that was? And some of them have their own horrific stories. I'll never forget Brendan Manning, who's a literary mentor of mine, who's with Jesus now. His life changed when he just forgave his mom. Then he found out his mom had her own horrific pain. Jesus is the solution to everything, including my own orphanhood. Get up. Get up. But you just don't understand. I should have married that person. I should have gone to that school. You know why Paul says put your hand in the plow and don't look back? Because when you look back, it smells like Lodi Bar. Lodi Bar stinks. King's table smells like Dillard's during Christmas. You walk in there, it just smells good. Whoa, whoa, go back to verse 8. I didn't see that this week studying. He didn't just say get up. He said get up, pick up your mat and walk. He didn't say get up and write in your Starbucks journals. 
You know what some of you guys need to do with your journals? You need to throw them away. What happens is you start overanalyzing what's in you and, you've, and you're not analyzing the one who is in you. My God. I'll say it, Doug. You listening? I'm going to say it right now. What we do is we spend more time analyzing who I'm not and I don't analyze who's in me. Y'all think, y'all think that I travel and see healings and see healings around here because, I mean, look at me. There's nothing special about me. I've just been analyzing for 15 years who's in me. He's a pretty big deal. I can tell you, even as a pastor of this house, it's been severed off of me. I will never look back that way. I won't do it. I'm not going there. Matter of fact, you want to hear a cool story? Uh, what time is it? 1020. I got a few minutes here. Um, uh, the fi- Brian Woodard and my wife, Wendy, were prepared to speak during this series. And I love listening to both of them, but I just, the father told me, he, he said, I want you to speak all eight of these. And I said, okay. And I wrestled with it for a couple of days, even before I told Brian. And then, and then he said, I want Teresa, he said, get Teresa to take, I think he said scrupulous notes. And I didn't even know what that word means. I had to Google it. And uh, I said, okay. And then this week on Thursday, he said, I'm going to bring you a ghostwriter to turn this series into a book. Well, I don't even know what a ghostwriter, I don't, I don't really know what that is. And so a young lady named Dawn Cheryl, who I hired back at Wayfair Ministries, a ministry I co-founded years ago, um, she was on the team, and she's just a phenomenal writer, editor. She actually wrote all of the curriculum for Windshape Camp this week. Well, I forgot she was coming into town, and so she spent a few days with my wife and I and our family. She's like family to us. She is family to us. And she's at the house the other night. I said, it's so good to see you. I said, what are you doing now? She says, I'm doing a lot of ghostwriting. Here's the point of the whole thing. The point of the whole thing is I never want to share anything that I'm not currently walking through. I don't save my sermon notes because I don't care. Uh, I don't want to share manna from six years ago. That smells like Lodibar. I want to share fresh revelation. I'm not trying to get you guys to walk into something that I'm not currently in. I'm just telling you, for me and my house, we will not leave this table anymore. I'm not doing it. The way in which you don't leave the table is you keep your mind locked into the things of God. Colossians 3, 1 through 3. You get your heart up there. You get your mind up there. When you come to the king's table, the accuser doesn't stop talking. You just learn the spiritual discipline called ignoring. Sometimes the highest form of warfare is to ignore him. You know what charismatics want to do? I rebuke you, devil. A lot of times he's just trying to get your attention. Just, do, just swat the fly away. Swat the fly away and then put one of those lights out that those flies attract to. The lights out or vulnerability, community, a pure heart. Put the light out and just hear it. There ought to be a time in your life this week where in the spirit it's just like, what is going on with that person? Your spouse looked at you the wrong way. You didn't respond the way you usually do. You got that email that's nasty. You didn't respond. Your boss is a jerk. You didn't respond. Matter of fact, you blessed your boss and you loved your boss. Some of our lights in the spirit are brand new. Not one bug been on them in 6,000 days. Sons and daughters have to replace those light bulbs constantly. Orphans are like, I deserve it. Bite me. Bite me fly. Bite me spider. I deserve it. I'm in the pig pen. You know what's interesting? The story of the pig pen and the prodigal. He does not get whole until he picks his mat up turns back to the father and says, I can't do this anymore. I'm going to say this and we'll end here. The father didn't go to the pig pen to get him. 
the father called to the pig pen. David called to Lodi Bar. I'm going to make this so simple. You've got to hire someone to help you misunderstand it. Calvary was an invitation for you not to live in Lodi Bar. Quit interceding for the voice to come from heaven saying, come home. The voice came, said, come home 2,000 years before you were even born. All right. Instead of prayer service this morning, instead of getting prayer, I just want us to stand up. And I'm going to speak a get up, take your mat, and walk blessing. And I want us to walk that way. We're not, I don't want to pray for anyone down here this morning. That seems so strange to say that as a pastor. I'm going to speak a blessing of get up and walk. And if this is something that you're tired of living over here in Lodi Bar, then pick up your mat and walk. In the name of Jesus, may you pick up your mat and walk and quit blaming someone else for what you don't have. Go to that table, feast, let him love all over you in Jesus' name. Be blessed. God bless.